Good morning, and welcome to each one. This morning, we're continuing looking at Romans here. And I know this is not a Christmas message. Um, this is a passage I'd been studying for a while. And, and as I was studying this passage, I, I, at one point I realized, you know, I have never heard a message on this. And the more I studied, the more I realized why. It's, it was tough. And, and so I don't come this morning claiming to understand. Um, and what I'm sharing this morning is simply what I've, um, I guess you could say, be led to, to share. And, and I, hope, I hope to do it justice, do this passage justice. We're specifically looking at chapter 14. Um, but I open myself up. If there's corrections, I'm willing to... Yeah, this is something I think I'm going to have to continue studying this morning. I've split the message into, into two parts. Um, the first part, we're going to look at disputable matters. And, and what is this term, disputable matters? Um, disagreements, you could say. And, and then the second part of the message, I want to look at, at what it means to bear the infirmities of the weak. Um, and that specifically comes through, actually, it'd be chapter 15, verse 1. But he sums it up with that, that, that idea. We're called to bear the infirmities of the weak. I don't know how you find it, but I, I would tend to, to see us as humans, uh, maybe it's some of us, are just tend to be a lot more argumentative than others. Um, I'm probably one of those. In fact, growing up, I was accused often of starting arguments for the sake of starting an argument. Um, I was probably one of these people that, that enjoyed disputing about things that absolutely had no value and no importance. But I, I got a thrill out of it. And there's probably some of that still in me today. <clears throat> but we tend to argue about things that just really don't matter. There was a doctor once tells us a short story about an argument. I'm going to read it here. One day, making tracks in the prairie of Prax, came a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped. There they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zax said. I say, you're blocking my path. You are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zax, and I always go north. Get out of my way now, let me go forth. Who's in whose way, snapped the south-going Zax. I'm always go, I always go south, making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move, and let me go south in my south-going groove. Then the north-going Zax puffed his chest up with pride, and he said, I never take a step to one side, and I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zax, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years, for I live by a rule that I've learned as a boy back in south-going school, never budge. That's my rule, never budge in the least. Not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here, not budging. I can and I will, if it makes sense, if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course, the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, a new highway came through, and they built it right over those two stubborn zacks and left them there standing unbudged in their tracks. 
honestly, a simple and silly disagreement. And we laugh at it. Um, or are we guilty of that sometimes? Maybe not quite as silly things, you know. They're definitely more important to me. But are we guilty of that sometimes? Here in, in Romans 14, he talks about this dispute. <clears throat> and, and they're disputing, he, he, they're disputing about doubtful things. He, in, in the King James, it says doubtful disputations. Um, I'm going to use the term this morning, matters. Disputable matters, sorry. I'm going to use the term disputable matters. And, and that's what we're talking about here. In verse 1, right away, he, he, and he's talking in verse 1 to what I'm going to term the strong in the faith. And he's talking to him and saying, him that is weak in the faith, receive ye. Receive the weak brother. He's talking to the strong here. But don't dispute with them about doubtful things. And it seems as if, if <clears throat> they were having some issues here, as, as is probably fairly common in, in church and doing brotherhood together. Um, and it seems as if, if the weak in the faith, and I, I'm going to take some liberty and, and also call them sincere Christians. I think it kind of comes through some places, it implies this. These were maybe weak in the faith, but these were well-meaning Christians. Well-meaning Christians, very sincere, were trying to do things, or were doing things out of a sincere heart, trying to please God. <clears throat> um, and I think the majority, if you go back in Acts, Acts 28 there, I think it's about verse 14 to the end of the passage, it talks about when Paul is in, in Rome. And he, he has contact with a number of Jews, and many, it says many of them, or a number of them, came to Christ. And so... I think, but in, in that, that, that contact, I think, was pretty brief, and, and there might have been other Jews from other areas that were coming into this Roman church, but I think you had well-meaning, devout Jews that became Christians, and, and then you had Gentile believers or people that were pagans becoming Christians, and I think that's where the sharpest conflicts came from. Um, there may have been other conflicts in the church, but you had practicing Jews, men and women that believed and followed God passionately and observed the ceremonial laws, you know, the things, the things like circumcision and not eating certain meats and observing days like Pentecost, new moons, feasts, tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles and the Holy Days and on and on and on. And it was all clearly spelled out and they were doing this obediently. But they were missing Jesus and now Paul explains Jesus to them and and they're saved. They're, they're well-meaning Christians. And, and yet they continue to hold on to and observe these things. Are they wrong? Are they wrong? Um, obviously, and it seems, and I, I, I'm assuming, I'm doing some assuming, but that the, most of the conflict was between the Jews and the Gentiles. Obviously, the Gentile brothers that came to Christ and didn't have this background, but they came to Christ and they were following Jesus. Jesus was their king. And what the apostles taught them, they did. And that's about it. And, and so you see this, this difference, strong difference. The brothers that, that do it all, all the law, or at least most of the law, and, and are doing it, I think, with good intentions of honoring God. 
and, and also the brother that is serving Jesus and doesn't do any of those things. And, but it does seem that <clears throat> there was a dispute about this and that maybe, I'm using the term strong in the faith, it may be inaccurate, but they were trying to convince the Jews that you don't need to do this. Come on already. We have freedom. We are free from that. And, and it, yeah, it really seems as if, if they were doing their best to dispute and convince that now as a Christian, you don't need to observe those ceremonial laws, those extra things. And, and maybe in the process, it kind of comes through in this passage a little bit, that some of them were possibly flaunting their freedom a little bit. You're not allowed to eat this meat? I gladly eat this meat. No big deal. I have freedom in Christ. And it wasn't part of, it, it, it didn't bug their conscience in the least. And for the brother who grew up, grew up in that, it, it, even with their freedoms in Christ and the liberty that Paul talks about, to eat certain kinds of meat or to, to not honor a day that you've set up, honored all your life for God, this is for God, to not do that suddenly pricked their conscience. It bugged them. It really bugged them. And I get that. I, I think most of us here would understand that. Um, and so how are we to handle these kind of things, this kind of conflict? Um, brothers and sisters in Christ, in the church, and there's strong differences. <clears throat> you, you also see another, another place in, um, in uh, Scripture where this is in, I forget the book, but I think it's in Acts. Yeah, where, where there would have been, this was in the church of Antioch, where Christians would have came, they would have came, and they would have been proclaiming circumcision, got to be circumcised, and they were making an issue of salvation there. They were saying, to be saved, you need to be circumcised. And Paul disputes that. Paul clearly disputes that. In fact, it says Paul and Barnabas, I think in that there, Paul and Barnabas had no small disputation about this issue. They were making a salvation issue. Um, I don't think that's the case here because Paul does not dispute these men that were doing these extra things, you could say. Um, and so he, he doesn't even, he hardly, hardly addresses the issues that they're, they're disputing about. He kind of does in subtle ways, um, but he makes, he makes He's pretty gentle, honestly, in his way of handling this dispute. And I think you see him trying to get them to the place of, uh, I hesitate to use this term, but mutual, mutual forbearance, mutual agreement, kind of letting each other do as, they, as they, they've done. Um, I think that's kind of, you see. And you see him carefully reasoning, mostly with the strong, actually, that they should not be scornful of the weak. Should not be scornful of these men who are for the sake, for God's glory, doing these things. Let's look at just a few of these guidelines, or, or I, I'm going to call them rules, um, that he gives us on how to handle disputable matters. And, and this is two examples here. The two examples used here in Romans was this thing of eating meat and of honoring days. And... And the days, I think, would mostly imply 
the holy days that they honored. We're not necessarily talking the Sabbath. Um, I might be wrong on that, but I think there was, there was a lot of holy days in Leviticus that no longer needed to be observed. Um, it, was, it was very common. I think it was understood as common practice in the early church that the first day was the day of the Lord. They called it the Lord's Day, and the apostles practiced that, and I think as a whole, church, the church of God practiced that at that time. And so I don't think Paul is questioning that. He's talking about these other holy days. And that was the dispute. Look at these guidelines or some rules on how to handle these disputable matters. Um, in, first, in verse 1, and we touched briefly on that. Romans 14, verse 1. Receive ye. Those who are weak must be received. And then he just puts in that, but not to doubtful disputations, not to disputes. Receive them. And the term receive here, there's, there's, there's a picture or an idea that kind of goes with that. Um, it's this idea of, of welcoming with affection. Don't just bear with, bear with the brother, but welcome them with affection into your company, into your communion. Commune with them and be willing, actually be willing to instruct, um, not with the intent of exposing or disputing, but with the intent of strengthening, with the intent of strengthening. And so that's his first instruction is to receive one that is weak in brother with an attitude of affection and with the intent of strengthening, not with the intent of disputing about. The, the second instruction there comes comes in, sorry, I lost my place here. He talks to those who are strong that they should not despise the weak. He talks about that in verse 3 there. For the one, oh, let not him that eateth despise him that eateth not. And so he talks to the strong there. The one has these liberties not to despise the weak. And then those who are weak should not judge the ones that have liberty. Not every time there's disagreements in church do we have two sides that are in some ways both wrong. That's not always the case. You have two sides and they're both somewhat wrong. But at the same time, many times that is the case. Um, and I think Paul kind of addresses that here and somewhat corrects both of them. and says, hey, you're, you are despising your weaker brother. And to the weak, he's saying you're judging him. You're not his judge. And he goes on and addresses that, that God's his judge. And in essence, by me choosing to judge my brother in this way, I'm saying I know better than God. I'm doing the judging. And he's saying God is the judge. God is the judge. The third guideline or rule that I see here in, in verse 6 <clears throat> comes through here. You see that it, it, I'm reading into it a little bit, but it seems as if both of them, let me just read verse 6. He that regardeth the, the day regardeth it unto the Lord, 
and that he that regardeth not the day, to the Lord he doth not regard it. He that eateth, eateth to the Lord, for he giveth God thanks. And he that eateth not, to the Lord he giveth, he eateth not, and giveth God thanks. It, it seems as if both of these brothers, or both sides, were, were doing it unto the Lord. Paul's not giving room here for sinful behavior. He's, he, he says, you know, the one that does it, do it. Do it unto the Lord. The other that does, doesn't eat, doesn't regard the day, also do that unto the Lord. He's not giving room for, for sinful behavior. In essence, it feels like he's, he's giving room for difference in disputable matters, in disputable matters. And, and it's, it's really clear, and we'll get into this later on some things that are not disputable matters, but on this issue, it was a disputable matter. And Paul simply says, if they're doing it unto the Lord, let them do it unto the Lord. I, I, I know for myself, um, I struggled with some of this. Verse 3 was the same way. It didn't feel like a, a good answer because I like things to be right or wrong. And if there's a dispute, even about disputable matters, doubtful things, someone's still right and someone is still wrong. And so I, I struggled with this. I, why does Paul give so much room to these Christians, even though I, I know it was doubtful things. It was disputable matters. He gives a lot of room, and he says, if he's doing it unto the Lord, let him do it unto the Lord. Don't judge him. Another guideline or thing to note in, in, in how we handle disputable matters, and this is Paul maybe just kind of circling back and bringing us back to what is truly important. In verse 17 and 18, it feels like he's given us some things on how to you know, practically handle this. And then he's saying, hey, but, but don't focus on those things. Um, what is truly important in the kingdom of God? And, and these are the things we should be thinking about when we wrestle with matters. Um, verse 17 and 18, it says, for the kingdom of God is not meat and drink, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Ghost. For he in that these things serveth Christ is acceptable God, acceptable to God and approved of men. And this might have been kind of hard for, for some of those men to hear. That men that had been honoring or, or obeying the law and what they ate, what they drank, they lived, they were living right. They were living right. And Paul, in some ways, actually kind of takes it to another level and says, it's not actually quite so much about your actions, it's more about your motives, somewhat, and about what you're pursuing, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. And so, it, you, you could say, and, and I've heard it said, and it, Paul says it as well, you could say we have a lot of freedom in Christ. And and that's true. I think that is true. We have a lot of freedom in Christ. But there's also clear warning that goes with, that says we should never use our freedom for an occasion for the flesh. 
Never for selfish reasons. That's not freedom in Christ. <clears throat> and, and I think it's hard for us to honestly fully understand the, when, when Paul talks about freedom in Christ, it's hard for us to understand it because we never lived under the law. The ceremonial law, what was given in, in early on, we never lived under that. We never practiced that. And so it's easy for us to, when we talk, think about freedom, to simply compare to the world around us. And that's, that's not, not what Paul is talking to, not what talk, Paul is talking about. He's, he is talking about coming out from under the bondage of the law, those practices. It probably took a lot of time, and there was probably a lot of weight involved in getting it right. And we, we now have freedom. And, and I think it took some time for the church, especially for Jews, to Christians, to let go of some of those things. And I think that's simply what they were addressing, Paul was addressing here. And for many of us, um, we, we shy away from the word freedom in Christ, and that's simply because we've seen it misused, misused and abused, and, and turned into something that was never meant to be. <clears throat> because it's really clear in this passage as well that never should our brother, never should our freedom cause a brother to stumble. Um, and, and I think that's a, that's a principle that we should all live by. Let's look just a little bit about this, at this idea of causing a brother to stumble. In, in verse 13, verse 15, and verse 21, Paul calls us to consider our actions, but not just how they affect me, how our actions affect a brother. Never should we intentionally do something that may cause, um, he uses the word destroy in, in verse 15, no, sorry. In verse 13, he uses the word stumbling block or an occasion to fall. In verse 15, but if thy brother be grieved, and in verse 21, that it is neither good to eat flesh, nor to drink wine, nor anything whereby thy brother stumbleth, or is offended, or is made weak. He calls us to consider how our actions affect our brother. Um, as humans, in fact, there's all kinds of studies anymore that science will, will, will back this up that we as humans are very relational beings and what I do indirectly affects each one here and the same and this, a lot of this is subconscious and, and we don't think about it and notice it. You know, you know, watch a group of friends, especially young children and, and they quickly conform to those around them and it happens naturally. And so how, you think that happens here in a body? I think so, in a body. How, how I do life, how I talk, my actions, simple things of what I wear, how I look, how I present myself, affect everybody. I think Paul calls us to consider how that affects our brother. 1 Corinthians 8, and 1 Corinthians 8 is actually a, a very parallel passage to, to what we're talking about this morning. Uh, maybe a little bit different of an issue. It's talking about meat offered to idols, but very similar there. <clears throat> and he says, 
But when you sin so against a brother, and here it's talking about a brother that eats this meat offered to idols, knowingly eats it. But when you sin so against a brother and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Why is it so serious to tempt a brother to go against his conscience? Why is that such a serious thing? And, and I want to be clear here this morning, we're not talking about matters that are clearly sin. Scripture is clear on what is sin, and, and we have clear teachings on that. This is something that may simply be a disputable matter, but my brother has conscience against it. I may have freedom to do this thing. Why is that such a big deal to wound his conscience in that area, to, to get him to go against it? And I, I don't have all the answers. In fact, I don't have many of them. And, and some of them I'm simply... Are, things that I, I read and I'm not sure how to explain, um, even ideas that come through in scripture. But one thing that is, is really clear, <clears throat> even if our conscience, which is infallible, I'm sorry, it's fallible, I'm saying that wrong, and it can be seared, it can be polluted, it can, all these things. In fact, 1 Timothy speaks to that, talks about someone there speaking in lies, having their conscience seared with a hot iron. That's someone with a messed up conscience. Hebrews 9.14 talks about the blood of Christ cleansing our conscience. And so we need our conscience washed and cleansed and exercised. And it's not, it is fallible. <clears throat> but even if our conscience isn't sharpened, maybe it's weak, like the brother here. Maybe it's not purified. It's still the mechanism that, that and I use that word for lack of a better word, but it's still the mechanism that God uses to bring conviction into our lives. And, and we should be pursuing a more, you know, exercising our conscience, becoming more sensitive to that conviction that God brings. We should be increasingly sensitive and being able to discern good and evil. But if you, if you ever, including the weak brother who maybe has a, you could say, partially seared conscience, if, if he violates his conscience, he's not, it's, it, it's, a, it's a path you don't want to be on. You're shutting down the very mechanism that God uses to speak into you and, and convict you of sin. And so even if the issue may be... Um, Disputable? Are we wise to ever go against our conscience? And I ask that as a question. I, I'm not sure if... I think it's pretty clear, but are we wise to ever go against our conscience, even if it's not mature? There are teachings in, in Scripture that are really clear that are not disputable matters. And and these are things we don't leave up to our conscience or personal convictions um, in the body of Christ. In fact, these things, I think it's scriptural to judge and reprove and rebuke our brother when they err in these things, these non-disputable matters. In fact, for 2 Timothy 4, 2, Paul is speaking to Timothy here, and he just says, Preach the word. Be instant in season, out of season. 
Reprove, rebuke, and exhort with all long suffering and doctrine. Areas of doctrine matter. Those are areas we reprove, we rebuke, we exhort. Um, probably not, though, in the disputal matters. But we are to reprove and rebuke over clear scriptural principles or matters of the gospel. And again, I mentioned Acts 15 earlier. That comes through pretty clear. Paul and Barnabas dispute that matter. There was no small dissension and disputation because someone was, was in essence, messing with the gospel when they said, you have to be circumcised. You have to be circumcised. It was a gospel. It, it was something that was very clear and not a disputable matter. And, and so I, as I was looking at this, I can't say with certainty issues that are disputable this morning. And, and you know, I, maybe in my own life I thought of some, um, but I'm going to leave that up. I'm not going to go there. But I do want to just spend a little bit of time looking at a few of these things, or mentioning a few of these things that we should be together on. Matters of faith, matters clearly taught in the scripture, things that we should be together on. I'm going to list a few and then open it up for a minute. I, I know I missed some. Um, if there's something that is clearly taught in scripture, a principle, um, shout it out. Things like creation, the fall of man, Jesus Christ coming as the son of God, the, the greatest commandment, love God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. The second commandment, love our neighbor as ourself. The teaching on loving our enemies, very clear in scripture. Um, there's several passages that are very clear, addresses modesty. We are to dress modesty, modestly. Headship order. Men submitting to God, women submitting to men. And, and that is how God ordained it. Men cover, or women covering their heads, men uncovering their heads. The principle of laying up treasure in heaven, clearly taught by Jesus. Marriage between one man and one woman. Anything else is considered sin. Salvation is a gift. Teaching on the kingdom of God. And are there others? Did you think of something? I'm putting you on the spot. There's a among some, not here, I don't think, a question whether hell is forever or is it just a mm -hmm. period of duration of time. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's that's, if you saw the last, one of the last sword and trumpet, you explained very well one of the articles concerning hell. Mm -hmm. Doctrine of heaven and hell. Thank you. That's, that, is, that is a foundational issue. Are there others? Someone else mentioned, mentioned one. Mm, I did not. That's, that is very important. And we're to be together. We are to be united on these matters. Um, 1 Corinthians 1.10 speaks very clearly. Paul is, is beseeching the Corinthian church there. He says, Now I beseech you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that ye all speak the same thing. And there be no divisions among you, but that ye be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. These kinds of issues we are supposed to be united on. And so, you know, the question arises, um, what about those things that clearly aren't taught in Scripture? 
What about those things? Do we have, then have liberty to do as we wish? Is that, is that how it works? If, it's, if it is a disputable matter, you could say, is it, is it up to me to do as I wish? And I'd mentioned Galatians 5.13. These are just several things to think about as, when we look at those kinds of issues. For brethren, ye have been called unto liberty. Only use not your liberty for an occasion to the flesh, but by love serve one another. One of the core tenets of Christianity, or you could say following Jesus, is this practice of laying down our life. Laying down our life. And this is practically done, like fleshed out by how I obey Jesus Christ and how I submit or, yeah, how I submit to, eat, to my brothers, to my sisters. Let's look briefly at this thing of, of or transition kind of into this idea of bearing the infirmities of the weak. Um, and that comes from ch chapter 15, verse 1. We then that are strong, and I, I simply think this is Paul kind of summing up this issue here. He says, we then that are strong ought to bear the infirmities of the weak and not to please ourselves. One of, one of Paul's, I think one of Paul's primary concerns, he saw the dissension here and obviously didn't necessarily correct one side or the other and say, you're right, you're wrong. Um, he spoke into it very gently. But I think one of his primary concerns here was, was caring for the weak so that none would fall or none would stumble. And he again and again mentions that, so that none fall, none stumble. Don't, don't cause your brother to stumble. The body of Christ should be a place, should be a good place for those who are weak in the faith. It should be a good place for those who are weak in the faith to grow, to be strengthened. And to be taught all things according as I have commanded you. That, that's, the body of Christ should be a good place for that. Um, disputing about disputable matters tends to do the opposite for, for a young believer, for someone who is weak in the faith. Paul also, I think, reminds us to, or he simply reminds us to welcome the weak in the faith. He says that in verse 1 again, to receive them. And, and I think you could also say that you could take this as Paul telling us not to make spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship. Not to make spiritual maturity a requirement for fellowship. And I say that carefully. Um, but I think we should simply treat, we should see and treat weaknesses as very different than rebellion. A weakness or someone who is weak in the faith is in very different shoes than someone who is living in rebellion and, and sh should be viewed differently. What is weak in the faith? And I, I don't know, I, to define this is, is tough. Um, who is Paul talking about here? And uh, I think as we, as, as we think about this, I think we do well to simply admit for each one, for myself, I had to admit that, you know, there's, there's some areas I'm simply weak in the faith. And while I, I'd like to think I'm not, as a, as a whole, as a person, one of those that's weak in the faith, I'd like to think that. 
um, I definitely got some areas that I'm weak in the faith. What does it mean to be weak in the faith? I have, I have two or three things here, um, and I'm sure there's more that, that I, I think are included in this idea of being weak in the faith. Um, the, the first one is, is having a weak moral structure, foundation. Um, turn with me to Hebrews, Hebrews 5. And verse 12 and 13 there, he says, For when for when for the time ye ought to be teachers, ye have need that one teach you again, which be the first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For everyone that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. Someone who just doesn't have a good foundation doesn't have a strong biblical foundation. Their, their structure is weak. Um, and, and that kind of person, their faith tends to be more based on their experiences than it is based on God's word. It tends to be based more on their experiences. And, and you know, it's still faith, but this is a man with weak faith. It's weak in the faith. I think it could also simply imply one that is just easily caused to stumble. And you see that throughout Romans, Paul is concerned about other brothers causing these to stumble or to fall or to be grieved. It's the brother that, that sees another brother do something and say, oh, that must be good. I'm, I must be... I'm, Yep, I can do that too. Even though, if he's really honest, his conscience says, mm -mm, no. Um, maybe a poor example, but <clears throat> a number of years ago, I, I felt, I, I could say my conscience led me to, to take social media off my phone. And we know social media as a whole, I wouldn't call it inherently evil. Um, it's not something I would require everyone here to do. I felt led to do it. It's been a blessing, actually. But especially for that time period soon after doing that, it wouldn't have been hard for a brother, especially one that I respect, to come beside me and say, come on, Matt. It's no big deal. Why are you doing that? And I, I probably would have just simply said, you know what, he's right. You know, and it sounds like a silly thing, and to be all honest. And, and you know, that, that's weak in the faith, I think. It simply would have been going against my conscience for, for a disputable matter, you could say. Um, simply because of another brother thought, no. Is that, is that one of the things of being weak in the faith. I, I think so. I think that's included here. And another one would simply be one who has not exercised their conscience. Um, Hebrews, going back to Hebrews here in 5, verse 14, he just says, but strong meat belongeth to them that are of full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. They've, they've been exercising their conscience. That's, a, that's the strong brother. Those are strong in the faith. The weak would simply be one who just has not exercised his conscience. But you see Paul caring 
deeply about the weak here in the church. And his desire is that none of them fall. I think that's simply why he says in chapter 15, verse 1, that we ought, those who are strong, ought to bear the infirmities of the weak with the intent that no one falls. Um, Throughout scripture, I find this interesting, and you can go really deep into this picture, but the church is compared to a body. And and just like a body, the well-being of every member affects the whole body. What happens when I have a joint or a muscle that is significantly weaker than the rest of my body? Anybody? It's not a right or wrong, wrong answer. What happens? It affects the whole body. It does? How specifically does it affect you? There's pain. Hmm? There's pain. Other parts of the body compensate for that? Yeah. Have you ever seen someone limp? That's what's happening. You know, if you have, I'll pick on dad-in-law here, but yeah, sometimes he limps. His pain, his knee is giving him pain. And so your, the rest of your body automatically bears that burden, takes the extra weight. It's, it's, that's, that's what it is. Is that how it should be in the, in the body of Christ? It also saps a lot of energy from the strong parts. Yeah, you're exactly right. Yeah. It affects the whole body. <clears throat> the rest of the body favors that joint or that muscle or whatever it is. Favors them. Bears the burden. The rest of them take, especially the surrounding areas, take extra weight. Why? Why do they do that? To prevent injury. That's, that's ultimately, your body protects itself against injury. And, and I think that's, that, is, that is why we as brothers should bear the burden, bear the weight of our weaker brother. With the intent, just like our body, the reason we do that is so that that muscle or that joint or whatever it is can heal, be strengthened. The intent is not to stay that way. And I think that also should be a reason for, for bearing the weak. Um, receiving them and bearing them. And I think that has this, this idea of, of much more than just coping. That they're strengthened. We lift them up, they're strengthened. Until that joint is then strong. Um, I think it's pretty clear in Romans 14 that one of the ways of supporting or bearing the infirmities of the weak is, is just out of a heart of love for my weaker brother, abstaining from those things that cause him to stumble. John 13, 34 and 35 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. By this shall all men know that ye are my disciples, if ye have love one to another. It's very clear, a mark of the follower of Jesus is one who loves his brother. I think one of the truest, or maybe one of the most difficult tests to the love for, to my love for my brother is simply how much I'm willing to give up for him. How much am I willing to lay down sacrifice for my brother. And Paul, Paul speaks to that very clearly in, in Romans 14. He says, in verse 21, he says, well, actually, verse 15 as well. He says, but, but if my brother be grieved with thy meat, 
Now walkest thou not charitably. Not, you don't walk, you're not walking in love anymore. Destroy not him with thy meat for whom Christ died. Um, he goes in 1 Corinthians 8, 12 and 13. He again puts it really clearly. But when ye sin so against the brethren and wound their weak conscience, ye sin against Christ. Wherefore, if meat make my brother to offend, I will eat no flesh while the world standeth, lest I make my brother to offend. Sacrifice. That's sacrifice. I... <clears throat> Do you love your brother enough to sacrifice? To the extent of what you eat. We're not talking about other issues. We're talking about meat. Will you go that far to sacrifice for your brother? And I'm talking to the strong here. You know, the... In, the that the, my tendency is to say, but I got my rights. Those of us who think we're strong say, I got my rights. I am allowed to do this. Why does the weaker brother control what I do and I don't do? And I, I don't, I can't speak to a whole lot to that. But I don't think the scripture ever talks in that kind of language. Instead, there's a consistent theme. <clears throat> Words like submitting yielding, laying down our life, not seeking our own good, but others' good. And that's consistent through the New Testament. Again and again. And Jesus gave us an example of that. He, he was the first one to do it. We are simply following his example. How, how does this look? I like to t think practical. And I, I admit I spent a good bit of time in my mind, fleshing this out. How is this practical here at Peckway as brothers and sisters? <clears throat> and, and I'm now speaking 100% my opinion. This is no biblical, you know. But does, does this play into or affect how we, we view our brotherhood agreement? Does it? Should it? Is, it? is it a practical way to, to be in agreement, and maybe even on disputable matters? Is it a practical way to be in agreement on those things so there's less opportunity for me to cause my brother to stumble? Is that, is that a good reason? In, in Acts 15, you see the apostles and elders giving, giving if you go on in the passage, they come together in the Jerusalem Council and they debate these things, specifically the, the thing of circumcision. But at the end, it's kind of intriguing to me, they then say, oh, here's the few things we're going to tell the churches. And it's just like a few things. I think, I think they actually address this thing of eating meat offered to idols. They say, let's tell the churches not to do that. Fornication, we're not going to do that. Um, I think anything strangled, we're not going to do that. And there was one more eating of blood. And so they say, hey, here's four things. I think they will all be included in the, well, not fornication, but the more disputable matters. And they say, but for the sake, they come to an agreement and they tell all the churches were to do this. It's a guideline. Um, was it to promote legalism? No, I don't think so. I think it was simply to bring peace and unity on some of these issues that were continually Conflict, maybe causing brothers to stumble. 
And, and while I personally think we could probably leave you know, some things out of our brotherhood agreement, am I willing, if nothing else, for the sake of, of a brother or sister who has those convictions, am I willing to just honor, honor that? Is that, is that a good approach? Should we, be, should we be including that? These are questions. These are things, practical things that I've been mulling, thinking about. And, and you know, as we talk about, we've been going through our statement, or our, our brotherhood agreement, as we talk about these things, I think we do well to just to be sensitive and, and honor one another in these things. Maybe someone has something that's for the sake of their conscience. Are we willing to simply lay down our preference at that point? Is that, is that how we should be approaching it? <clears throat> I just have two general, um, you could say, admonitions. First, to, to the strong. I say here today, let's, let's not despise the weak, but instead gladly bear their weakness. Even if it means choosing not to do something for your brother's sake. To the weak, I say, let's, let's not judge. Let's not judge. Careful in our judging. And I also, and I say this kindly, but let's also be careful to use your convictions on disputable matters. We're talking about disputable matters here. Be careful to use your convictions to control the brotherhood. And I think if we come together with this kind of attitude, I think the goal of unity and of peace is, is attainable through Jesus Christ. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Actually, let's kneel in prayer.